It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got Sadie and John Paul taking your calls. Anything you want to share with us, as always, we'd love to hear from you. 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And uh, we know that there is a cabinet meeting going on today. They are going to discuss the recommendations that would have come from the NEFIT meeting yesterday. And it's expected that there may be. Well, there would be a lot of discussions as to whether there will be a reverse of some parts of the plans to reopen uh, the country. We are now less than two weeks away from the reopening of the schools and we've always known the priority has been to reopen the schools but health chiefs are warning that older people and vulnerable people will need to limit the time they spend outdoors and it's because the rising cases over the past two weeks uh, it's going to affect older people and it's already starting to have an effect on the number of people who are being treated for the virus in our hospitals. Older people will be asked to restrict, this is expected, they will be asked to restrict their movements to avoid congregating uh, settings. Nefert were are also uh, have also recommended. Now it will be up to the government whether they decide to put this in place or not. But they've also recommended that only six people should be permitted in a house coming from three separate homes. That's in a bid to clamp down on house parties. Nefert are also recommending that outdoor home gatherings should be reduced to 15 uh, people. And they're trying to do everything that they can to stop what they're hearing about the number of house parties. And house parties are happening all over the country. And they're saying this is what they're hoping will Will it stop it? I don't know, but it's expected. That's what Neffert have told the government. Now, whether they will announce that today or not, we will have to wait and see. People who can work from home are going to be asked to do so for the coming uh, weeks. And the Cabinet, they, as I say, they meet today uh, to discuss everything that would have come out of that meeting from Neffert yesterday. And there was a meeting by all accounts that went on longer than had been uh, expected. But the real concern is the number of patients who are being hospitalised with COVID-19 
that is on the rise and that obviously is stoking new fears that an upsurge in infection is leading to an increase in serious illness. There were 21 confirmed cases in hospital yesterday morning. Now, that in itself, it's a low enough figure, but it's a worry because it's up from 13 at the weekend and eight of the patients are in intensive care. And the trend in patients hospitalised with COVID-19 over the three days is the highest rise that we've seen since mid-June because we were getting to the stage where, where we had some hospitals, particularly some of our hospitals here in Cork, that there was nobody in the hospital with COVID-19 or if they had a few cases in the hospital there was nobody in ICU and that was seen as a real success what we were doing with the lockdown coming out of the lockdown keeping people out of the hospital but now as we see a spike in cases and yes when you when you dig down through the figures you will see that all of the cases the in the main the majority of them are younger people people under the age of 45 there was even a figure one of the days where the majority of people were under the age of 30 so so certainly it's more younger people are getting it but the danger is that the younger people will pass it on to older people and people who are in the vulnerable health groups they're the ones that get sick with COVID-19. They're the ones that end up needing hospitalisation, could ultimately end up needing an ICU bed, could end up on a ventilator and then of course that swamps the health system and then everyone in society actually suffers. But when we're looking at the figures and we've seen figures rising over the last two weeks and there is a breakdown county by county that was released yesterday showing where all of the different cases are because Whenever we start talking about numbers and how many cases we had for the previous day, like the numbers for yesterday was 56, we would inevitably get a call or a text in saying how many of those uh, were in Cork? Can you find out how many of those were in Cork? And I know a lot of people, if they had their way, would like even even when we do get the figures that are, are released for Cork, that's the figure for Cork City and County. There are a number of people would prefer if they gave us much more detailed knowledge that if there was, say, 10 cases in Cork that if we actually found out well two of them were in Bantry one was in Douglas one was in Mallow you know people would prefer that kind of information but of course the powers that be have never given us that kind of information the the most information we can get from them is when they release the overall figures county by county so let's just take a look at the last 14 days and the last 14 days is when we started to see a rise in the figures let me go back to the 4th of August, almost the start of the month. On that day, there was 45 new cases reported. On the 5th, it was 50. Then it goes to 69, 98. Then on the 8th of August, we had 174 when everybody sort of held their breath and couldn't believe it. Then the following day, it dropped down to 68. Then it went to 57. 35 on the 11th of August, back up to 40 the day after. Shot up to 92 on the 13th of August, uh, which was last week. Then it went to 67. And then, of course, Saturday, we had that figure of 200 cases reported. And then on Sunday, we had 66 cases reported. And then yesterday, of course, we had 56. So the data that has been released is correct up to Sunday 
the 16th. So these are the, the 14, tracking the 14 days up to last Sunday. And when you look at it county by county, Kildare came out as having the most new cases over that 14 days, 393. Dublin were next with 151 new cases, Offaly at 106 and Leash at 69. And of course we know Leash, Offaly and Kildare then went into the, into the lockdown. Then next on the list is Limerick. Over the 14 days, Limerick have reported 40 new cases. Clare were next on 39, Meath on 31, Donegal on 29 and then we're next here in Cork. We're in the top 10 of counties to report new cases. So over that 14 day period, we reported 28 cases. So about two cases a day over the last two weeks. So we're still doing really, really well here in Cork and that's where we need to keep it. We need to keep it low like that. And then you, you look at other counties. Carlo reported 25 cases. Wexford 23. Tipperary had 18 up to Sunday but they would have had a proportion of the cases yesterday. The 56 that came out yesterday and the cases, yeah, because they've had the mushroom plant and other APP plant in care, the meat plant in care. So that would be higher. Kilkenny on 15, 11 for Wicklow, 9 in Galway, Louth 9, Sligo 6, Cavan 6, Kerry doing very well. In the last 14 days, Kerry only reported 4 new cases. Monaghan had 3, Roscommon had 3, Mayo had 2, Waterford 2, Westmeath 2 and Leitrim and Longford had 1 each. And looking at the 56 cases from uh, yesterday, there was 26 in Kildare, 13 in Dublin and the rest were spread across other counties but none, actually there was none reported for Cork yesterday so our figure remains the same at 28 new cases over the last 14 days. So as I say, about two a day. Uh, it's, it's, it's two a day too many. I know I will hear people say but let's let's see if we can keep it. What we don't need is to get a cluster. What we don't need to, is to get an outbreak in a meat plant or in a factory and that's where everybody needs to bring their A game and everybody needs to be wearing the mask and social distancing and all of uh, that. Now, uh, this came in from Michael in Tim League and this is to do with should we be opening the pubs? What do we need to do about house parties? And Neffet's recommendation that's expected to be announced today, this idea that there should be no, only six people should be permitted into a home from three separate houses. Will that clamp down on house par- parties? Michael says, I was talking to a lady from Kilbritton last week who told me that her son rang her to say he was having great crack at a house party. He's 25 years of age. Now, is this the type of person who goes out for a meal beforehand, has three pints and leaves after an hour and a half and goes home? I don't think so. So the whole idea, says Michael, of the government thinking of extending the opening hours of pubs and restaurants in the hope that it would stop house parties is like putting an ashtray on a motorbike. Regulate the off-licences, says Michael from Timmy League, and open the pubs under strict guidelines so that drinking can be done under a safe and a controlled system. If the pubs don't comply, then simply close them down. And that's from Michael in Timalee, who doesn't see any end coming to the house parties. 1850-333-103. And on the wearing of masks. Here's a really interesting email that I've had in from Marie. 
who says, I work in a small boutique outlet. Last Saturday, I approached a girl and asked her to please put a mask on while on our premises. She informed me she was exempt as she was unable to wear a mask, she says, due to illness. Surely these people who are ill, and could that be a lie, but if they are ill and if they are in an at-risk group and they're not able to wear masks, surely they should only be doing essential shopping. Also, I feel if there are people who are being allowed out and about without masks but can't wear one due to ill health, they should have some kind of document with them to say why they're not able to wear a mask. She informed me then that she was being discriminated against by being asked to wear one. She says it was not law and she was ready to show me literature on her phone. I told her as the manager of the store, I'm doing my job for the health of our customers and staff. That did not that did not seem to matter to her. She carried on looking around, browsing in the shop. I actually wanted to ask her to leave the boutique. Should I have asked her to leave? That's my question this morning. I I actually do not believe her illness story. I think she's just out for herself. But of course, how do I know that and how do I prove that? What is the law? There seems to be no clear rules. I do not want confrontation in our workplace. While she was in the shop, I had to ask a man if he would put on a mask. He obliged immediately. He had just forgotten, which of course can happen. Patricia, I do not want to wear a mask either, but I must. I need to do it eight hours a day while at work. The girl, if she did have a medical complaint that stopped her from wearing a face mask, then surely she could pop a visor uh, on. She's only going to be in and out of shop for five minutes at the most. And surely she should only be out for essential shopping if she says she's that unwell. Kind regards, uh, Marie. Uh, Yeah, so... uh, Thank you for that, by the way. You could have asked her to leave your shop. It is within your rights if you want to refuse somebody access to your shop. But I appreciate shops at the moment are trying so desperately to get business in. But she, to me, that lady is being very disrespectful to you and to the other people in the shop. And you're right. I do think when she started talking about discrimination and this isn't law and I can show you literature on my phone to prove that it isn't law. I do think she's more making a statement. I think she's one of those people and there are people out there who think it's a breach of their civil liberties to be asked to wear a mask. But she's wrong when she says it's not a law. It is a law. The legislation is there. It is passed. You actually can go in a case like that if she was refusing to wear the mask, and I know you don't want confrontation, you don't want a big hoo-ha inside in the shop, but you actually can call the guards. You actually could call the guards to say, I have a customer who's refusing to wear a mask. That's if she refused to leave when you asked her when, when, when she wouldn't wear the mask. That's what's happened on, not many, hasn't have, happened many times, but it's happened on trains. It's happened on buses. People have been told to get off a bus. People have been, and people who refuse to get off a train the guards say it's a limited number of times it's happened because in the main, 99.9% of people are doing exactly what we've been asked to do, are wearing masks. And certainly I'm seeing more and more of it in shops, which is terrific. And like the gentleman who you did say, excuse me, sir, could you put a mask on? He said, oh my goodness, I've forgotten. He had one straight away that he put on. The amount of shopkeepers that will tell you they're looking at somebody about to walk into their shop and they get to the door of the shop and then they'll turn around and they've got to go back out to the car to get their mask. You know, it's still the early days of it being compulsory to wear masks. So there is a bit of, oh my God, I'm forgetting about it. We've all done that. I've certainly done it numerous occasions. The U-turn back to the car because I keep 
clean masks in the glove compartment of my car all the time. They're constantly there. And I don't know how many times I've left the car. Sometimes it's only a few steps. And I realise I forgot my mask and I have to go back again. But I've equally gone to the door of a shop about to walk in. And you know what I think is great to remind me are the shops and the businesses that have the sign clearly on the door saying, please wear a face mask. Because if you get to the door and you've forgotten your mask, you will, I think, in the main, unless you're going to be like this young lady who has decided that she's been discriminated against because she's been asked to wear a mask. And then on the other side, I absolutely accept that there are some people who, for health reasons, can't wear masks. Some, even though the Asthmatic Society, when we had them on, they said asthmatics are to wear the masks. But there are some people who find breathing very difficult. Uh, We've also heard from people who suffer from anxiety that it can bring on a panic attack and nobody wants uh, that to happen. But in those cases, what I would say is wear a visor instead. A visor is not going to restrict your breathing in any way. And there was a time where the visors were hard to purchase. They're not hard to purchase now. You can get them in any of the chemists. Some of the hardware shops are selling them uh, as well. So there is another way around it. If it's a breathing issue that you can't wear a mask, then pop a visor on instead. But you are, but to to Marie, who contacted us from that small uh, boutique, you are within your rights to ask her to leave the shop. But I appreciate you probably hoping for her business at the same time. And I also appreciate that you didn't really want a confrontation in the workplace. It is a difficult one. Some shops are very good about and managers and owners are very good about confronting. And it can be a confrontation in some cases about asking customers, if you don't have a mask, please leave the premises. Come back when you have a mask. I mean, only the other day we spoke with Michael Healy Ray the doll deputy from Kerry who owns a shop and who owns a garage in Kerry, he's already said that they're not going to enforce it in that they won't call the guards and they're not asking somebody to leave the shop or leave the garage. But he is reminding people to please wear a mask and he does have signs up. But he has said to the his staff, you're not here to, in, to enforce it. But they are certainly within their rights to ask somebody to pop a mask on. And certainly as a shop owner, you are well within your rights to ask somebody to leave if for whatever reason you want them to leave. But if you feel that they are putting your health at risk or the health of your, of your customers, because remember, you wear a mask not to protect yourself. You wear a mask to protect others. And listen to this when people question how important are face masks. Face masks block... of large respiratory droplets released when people cough are when people speak. It's new research that's just come out. The researchers also found that standing two metres from a coughing person with no mask is exposed to 10,000 times more droplets than someone who's half a metre away from a coughing person who is wearing a, a mask. It was, it was scientists at the University of Edinburgh and they say face covering appears to be tremendously effective at reducing the spread of COVID-19. They compared the number of droplets that landed on a surface in front of a person coughing and speaking with a mask And without a surgical mask, they also did it with a basic cotton face covering that we're all asked to wear. And even with, I mean, you obviously would expect good success rates from the proper surgical mask, but they say even with the coughing mask, the number of droplets was more than 
a thousand times lower. So please, guys, wear your mask. Some of your thoughts coming in. Uh, it is a disgrace if we, this is for older people, it is a disgrace if we have to lock ourselves away again, says John. We'll waste away. Surely we'll end up dead. Some people haven't got the time to go into another lockdown. If they are able to be allowed out, go for a walk up and down their road, keep away from people and continue wearing masks. That mightn't be too bad, but a second lockdown will kill people. I don't think in any way it's going to be a second lockdown, John, and I don't think in any way it's going to be asking older people to cocoon like they did before. Uh, it, what in effort are suggesting is that uh, older people will be asked to restrict their movements. I don't think it's going to be a complete lockdown in like the cocooning, restricting their movements. Maybe they're going to say just, you know, be careful about congregated settings. If you're going to the supermarket, for example, maybe make sure you go on a quiet time. If you go somewhere, there's a lot of people there. They're going to suggest, you know, don't go where there is a, a lot of a lot of people. That's what I'm assuming. But we're going to have to wait and see. But yeah, I can sense there's a lot of people are with you, John, on that, thinking that if it is going to be back to cocooning, there's just simply not going to be a lot of older people will be very, very unhappy with that. Michael and Bostovind has said, I think older people kept inside and did exactly what they were asked to do. It will be so unfair if old older people and vulnerable people are being asked again to go back into lockdown and into cocooning. They need to be clamping down, says Michael, on younger people who are ignoring all of the rules and regulations. I'm watching what is going on and I'm only saying what I am seeing. It beggars belief that it's the elderly and the medically vulnerable who will be the ones that will be asked to stay inside. It's like they're saying, get back into your box. I think it's most unfair. Um, um, Let's wait and see. We don't know yet. It's just it has been speculated. But so as I say, there's a lot of people feeling very much like that. They don't like the idea of older people being told to restrict their movements. A different John says are the government taking this serious at all? The pubs should simply stay closed. They need to close off all the off licence, close anywhere that sells alcohol. Do it for one month. Just give it one month of a full lockdown of all alcohol sales and see how many lives will be saved. Surely that will be a small price to pay for people's lives. That's from John. Pat, when we're talking about masks, says, I have noticed a lot of masks been ending up as litter on the ground. Have other people noticed uh, this? I have. I was, I was only talking about it when I got out for a few walks last week in the fine weather. I couldn't get over the number of the blue masks that I saw on the ground. It, it really is shocking. And it just, it struck me when I was looking at him as well, if that was somebody who was shredding COVID-19 and they had been coughing or speaking with the mask on, that they, you know, there was definitely going to be, if it was somebody with it, there would be surely germs and the virus would be all over it. It really is so, so irresponsible not to be bringing those masks home and disposing of them properly. Pat also wants to have a go at us females who are out and about having a chat. Uh, You're blocking up the footpath, says uh, Pat. He's noticed that, that a lot of people are stopping to have a chat. And I suppose that's the one thing when people came out of lockdown, it was lovely to meet up with people that you hadn't seen in a long time. And people stopped for the bit of banter and the bit of chat. And we do that as... As a country, we like to chat for sure. On the wearing of face masks, Michael Healy Ray surely says this texter has a duty of care to his staff to provide a safe system and place of work. 
Is he not failing in his duty by not enforcing the law of asking people to wear masks in his uh, business, businesses, says uh, a listener. Yeah, I mean, and particularly you wear a mask to protect the other person. So, yeah, that's a good, valid point. Hi, Patricia, talking about the wearing of face masks. I was in a well-known store the other evening shopping. And yes, everybody did have some force of form of face covering, which is great. The only problem was there was a lot of people not wearing them correctly. Some of them, for example, had their noses exposed. So in my opinion, those people were actually not wearing a face covering at all. How do you police that? Should shop assistants be telling those people to put them on properly or leave the shop? Says John from Bosford. Yeah, it really is a tricky one. Could you imagine confronting somebody to say, well done, I'm wearing your mask, but sorry now, love, you have it on wrong. Will you put it up over your nose? And you are right. I've seen that as well. I've seen many people not wearing the masks properly or the other one. And it's the one we're probably all guilty of at some stage when we're out doing our shopping, particularly if you're doing the big shop and you're going to be in the supermarket more than just nipping in and out to get something is people at their mask and fixing their mask. And if the mask slips, that's why it's to try and get a mask that fits securely and snugly and doesn't move around on your face. But the amount of people touching it uh, certainly is something I have noticed and I'm probably guilty of it myself and I'm probably doing it and I don't even know that I am doing it. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 862 103 103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, the aviation industry is on its knees with levels of air traffic down by 97% at Dublin, Cork, and Shannon airports. So, to discuss an Alaska style safe travel model which could help the industry, I'm joined by Finnegan Senator Jerry Bottomer. Good morning to Jerry. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Okay, can you outline how this Alaskan model works? Well, the the, the model is is prefaced on a number of things. First of all, I suppose, as you said in your introduction, the world has stopped travelling with 90% decline in passengers, as the CSO here in Ireland discovered or unveiled today. Um, and everything that we say is prefaced or predicated on that, you know, everything is under the guise of public health and must be worked through that. But this is a template where you can travel safely based upon testing, um, where non-residents arrive with a negative uh, COVID test within 72 hours prior to the departure, you know, or proof of a pending with test results uh, can be left to enter the state of Alaska safely. Uh, and and in, in a world that has now become you know, very much concerned about testing, very much governed by testing. Uh, it, it is about ensuring that 72 hours before departure that an uploaded negative result can go into the travel portal um, and that you can produce proof. Um, the, the strategy by the Alaskan state is, is allowing for uh, resources uh, to be put into testing whilst at the same time and not necessarily encouraging but allowing people to travel safely within the state. Um, and I think similarly here, if a, if a non-resident arrives without a pre-test, then you make testing available at the airport. There is the quarantining issue that you missed and, and the self-isolation that must be adhered to. But it is about ensuring that, you know, first of all, testing is available to us as Irish citizens. But for those non-Irish citizens arriving into the country, there's a test available and that the quarantine measures does apply. But it is about ensuring you know, that we, we do have a plan 
in a commercial way and in a public health way for those who are travelling. I mean, if you look at some of the major companies in Cork, there's a travel embargo. People aren't travelling, as you said in your introduction. Um, and if you look at some of the airlines across the world, you know, with Ryanair here, Aer Lingus, you know, there's, the, 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 there is routes being stopped, there's bases being shut. And, and Cork Airport in itself, you know, I was up there a couple of times now since the pandemic began, you know, it's 90% down on last year. And we do need to have a plan that's based upon safe testing, that's about safe travel. Uh, and it is about ensuring, it is about ensuring uh, that, you know, we are responsible. Um, and, and that, you know, in, in, in the case of travel, that it is done safely. And that's why the Alaska model of testing is one that's important. It's one we should look at. Um, and it's one that we should encourage government to, 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 to take up on board. Yeah, because I know we helped out one of our listeners uh, last week who contacted us. She needs to, she's going back to Dubai for work and she is not allowed to travel unless she had a negative COVID-19 test result and obviously she needs to get it done privately here and we were sorting that out where she could get it done and then I discovered you can't get onto an Emirates flight without a COVID-19 negative result from the previous 72 days so it is working for other airlines and other countries as well. It is and and the case of Alaska they have a travel portal which is, is, is accessible and the key is, is testing within 72 hours before departure uh, and if you're awaiting a result, you know, that's a responsibility on you to whether you travel or not. But travellers themselves, then we need to upload the portal with the proof of the test, you know, uh, and, and then quarantine while waiting. Uh, and, and it is about personal responsibility. And, and everything I say is predicated upon public health and safe, being safe. But we need to have a plan for our aviation industry, you know, in the case of Cork Airport, it's central to our economic development. Do you uh, worry? Do you worry about the future of Cork Airport, Jerry? I, I I worry about the future of of, of 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 our of our economy, but of our people, and and I think the airport has been central to to what's been good about Cork's recovery, uh, and and we need connectivity, um, and undoubtedly COVID nineteen has had a, has had a profound impact on Cork Airport. If you just look at the the related, you know, jobs in terms of hospitality, catering, um, you know, uh, airport maintenance, and all associated aviation sector jobs, I mean, if you look at the service partnership that Cork Airport has with, with different companies, in, in the case of in the case of Cork, uh, it's profound, and and the knock on reduction in the, the economic impact for Cork due to the pandemic, uh, is quite significant in terms of jobs, in terms of jobs, in terms of supports available, in terms of money, uh, in terms of travel coming in, people coming into the into the country, uh, and also in the context of, of the directly related jobs that it provides and supports. So for me, it's about the, not just the direct, but the indirect, uh, and, and also it's about ensuring that, that, that the airport is, a, is there in, in the future, because we will need to have a plan based upon safe travel based upon keeping COVID out of Ireland and, and, and keeping people safe. But at the same time, the impact on a local economy and on jobs in terms of our aviation sector in Cork is one that we can't deny because it, is, it has a profound uh, impact. And, and equally, I think what we must acknowledge is the staff 
and the role they've played in the pandemic and the way they've worked uh, in keeping the airport open, uh, you know, and providing critical functions. But also, uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that the the, the airport has turned itself around due to uh, leadership by by the management under Len McCarthy, but the staff as well there. Um, and, and I would certainly say to, to all of us, as, as you know, it's not about just being able to travel. It's about planning for the future. This is this is much more than just the pandemic. This is about the future, living with the pandemic, if we have a vaccine, or, or how we can promote safe travel. This is about mapping out, if you like, a, a, in my opinion, a, a recovery plan for the aviation sector. And we have had the Aviation Recovery Task Force. Uh, but at the same time, I do, I do believe, Patricia, that Cork Airport is unique now in, in so far as that it doesn't receive state funding unlike other regional airports. Uh, Shannon has got money from government that Cork Airport hasn't got. Uh, and I will be making the case uh, to my colleagues in government uh, that Cork Airport now is in a position where it's precarious, but it is now in need of and worthy of support of, of, of you know capital funding, whilst at the same time, in the overarching aviation sector, we need a plan for the future to support, you know, tourism, to support the aviation sector and to support the hospitality sector. And it and has I, to be protected going forward to the airport. It's absolutely. so important. Yeah, and, and I and less people ring up your programme and say that I want to travel here than ever I don't. What yeah, I because that was going to be my next question. I mean, the government's advice is still to staycation and not to go abroad. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is we must travel, we must plan for the future and we must yeah. plan, you know, that we're going to have the pandemic with us for a long time. And I recognise that the cases have lift, have risen uh, and, and we have seen, you know, enforcement procedures in certain counties, stricter than Ireland. You know, I think if you look at the number of cases from the World Health Organisation today, where it says 80% are mild, 15% are severe, requiring oxygen and 5% require ventilation, it, we can't be complacent. Mm. But what's what's worrying me, Patricia, is that, you know, 79% of the cases are from those under the age of 45. So, you know, we must we must be careful. We must ensure that we do everything we can to keep the COVID out of our, of our area and of our country um, and, our, and our regions. Um, but at the same time, in my case, what I'm advocating is planning for the future, cognizant of public health. Uh, and and that there are people this morning who are bereaved and are suffering uh, the loss of loved ones, and there are people, friends of mine and family members, who are nursing homes who have more visitors only maybe once a week, and and the restrictions that it imposes on people's mental health and mobility and and jobs. Uh, it is important. And, and fears today, we've already been uh, t- talking about it on the programme uh, today after the NEFID meeting yesterday and we know that the Cabinet will be meeting today to discuss the recommendations that would have come from uh, NEFID uh, yesterday and speculation that older and vul- vulnerable people may be told to limit their time outdoors. Uh, older people terrified that they're going to be asked to go back in cocoon. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I've seen the reports. I haven't got any accurate information, no more than yourself. Um, I, I think the important point now is that one, we get our schools back open. Two, is that we continue to be responsible personally and collectively in 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 how we interact and behave. Um, and as I said, seventy nine percent of new cases were identified were were those under the age of forty five, and that's that's that paints its own picture, Patricia. Um, and I certainly would, you know, un- I understand. The, the need to, 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 to look after our elderly population who are the most vulnerable in this case. And that's why it's important that those of us of a, of a younger generation, I still count myself in that category, 
are responsible uh, that we do have um, cognizance of, of, of the need to protect others. And that's why I think testing is critical, Patricia, and that we up, upload the testing um, because it is about ensuring you know, that, that people who are asymptomatic or those who you know, present with no mild symptoms you know, are identified early. Uh, so that we can, you know, understand uh, through contact tracing or interactions. Okay, but by the way, when we're talking about staycationing, and you know, the majority of people are, were you disappointed with the chair of Fault Ireland, well, the former chair of Fault Ireland, Michael Cawley, and, and his holiday initially? I, I, I think it showed poor judgment, and I understand, you know, that the minister spoke with him. Um, I, I normally would, as you know, be in America the month of August. This year, I spent some time in West Cork, and I'm, as I speak to you now, up in up in Connemara, okay. um, and it's 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 important that we stay in Ireland. It's also important that we show leadership collectively. Um, and I think Michael Cawley, to be fair, uh, took the right course of action. Uh, it, it was an error of judgment. Um, he didn't, in in in, in principle, break any laws because he travelled to the green area. But it, it was it was what. It, it demonstrated, and that's why I think it's important that those of us who are charged in some shape or form with political leadership or, or who are public figures lead by example, in this case, stay at home this summer and, and support our, 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 our you know, hospitality sector. And, and in, in saying that, it is also important that we, and I make this point again, that we are responsible in, in what we do and how we interact with others because it is about ensuring uh, that we all stay safe and that we protect the most vulnerable. Okay, and Marion is worried about the cruise line uh, industry. She said, will we ever see the cruise line industry back again? I'm assuming Marion uh, is uh, down in uh, East Cork. I mean, that's an industry, I think I read yesterday, it's worth something like 70 million euro uh, to the Irish economy. It will be years, won't it, before the cruise line industry is back up and running. And I saw an article somewhere yesterday where there was cruise liners beginning to sail the high seas again. Well, that's the Um, first test of it. And they've all had COVID-19 testing before they went. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Look, I think the the big thing for me is that we need to have a plan, not post, but from now on, in how we allow people to travel safely in in their absolute need for those who are walking and who need to travel. And then when we are back in some shape or form, in a new normal, that we can have a plan centred around testing, centred around, you know, a template whereby we can have a a 372-hour, three-day window where you will have your result and where it's safe to travel. Um, And that's about, you know, ensuring that it's available to the airports, ensuring that it's available to non-citizens and citizens, but also it's about ensuring that we are all responsible. Okay, all right. Uh, we leave it there, uh, Jerry. Listen, enjoy the rest of your holiday. Is Thanks, the, sure. you haven't had the best weather? Is it? Is it? Have you had a lot of rain in Galway? We've it was absolutely lashing over the heavens last night, but this morning it's absolutely beautiful. The sun is shining, um, and and it's it's beautiful here. And and uh, whatever about the rain, the, the sea is absolutely perishing. Um, and and I suppose just from talking to people here in, in Galway last night. We met people from Tyrone, from Cork, from Dublin, uh, from all over the country. People are just, I suppose, this year recognising the importance of supporting the hospitality sector here. And last week I was down in 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 Baltimore and and over in, in Mizzen and, and around that beautiful part of West Cork. And to see the number of people coming into Cork, whilst you might be a bit worried, you were absolutely delighted they were coming to support Cork and. 
to see the, and to witness and to savour the, the beauty that is West Cork. And I was at the funeral of the late Paddy Sheehan and just chatting to to, to people who who had travelled for the funeral. Uh, they were just delighted to be in Cork. And, and the contrast, as you know, was on the early part of last week, it was scorching and beautiful. And then we had the tragedy of, 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 of the weather and, and what happened in Ross Carberry and, and, yeah. and the, the, you know, so it just shows you that we are we aren't here for the weather now, and we're here for the people in this country. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but it is important that we stay safe at this time of the year, and that we adhere to the restrictions. Uh, and I suppose it, we should complement the vast majority of people and the vast majority of those working in the hospitality sector who are very strict in adhering to the COVID nineteen you know protocols and restrictions. And when you see what happened in Temple Bar or in Dame Street, rather. It is a minority, and it does paint the majority in a very bad light. Because, as you know, Patricia, from going around, the majority of our people working in the hospital sector are very careful and are really, really cognizant of their responsibility yeah. and want to ensure that those of us who go into restaurants or who go into hotels or who, you know, are looked after. And and that's why it's important uh, that we we we, we support in a responsible, safe manner. Okay, that's what so disappointed me about that scene from the Berlin Bar in Dublin was it was ruining it for everybody else. Jerry, we leave it there. Enjoy the rest of your holiday and thank Thanks you for joining us. Good, good morning to you. That is uh, Senator Jerry Bottom calling for an Alaskan-style model. Start testing people. It will be one way to get the avi- aviation industry back up and running. And just two for people in the Middleton area. A listener wanted to know the library in Middleton, why it had closed and did we know what was going on and when would it reopen the library was closed for health and safety reasons on Thursday of last week the 13th of August the day before the building next to the library had caught fire now the library didn't suffer any material damage in Middleton however smoke did enter the building from the blaze in the intervening time the library building has been checked out and cleared of smoke Residue debris from the fire which landed on the roof of the library was also assessed for safety reasons. When all of this work is complete, the library will reopen to the public tomorrow morning at 10am. All right, for the good people in Middleton, you can go back and start getting your books once again. Middleton Library from 10am tomorrow morning. Due to COVID-19, the big summer concerts are all off. But the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Backgarden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Backgarden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the C103 app or go to c103.ie. On the way, we'll be discussing an alleged racist attack on two Chinese man in Cork earlier in the month and also hearing from a COVID-19 compliance officer. He shares his story of contracting coronavirus. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Gardaí in Cork are investigating an alleged racist attack in which two Chinese men were verbally abused about the source of the COVID-19 virus before then being viciously uh, assaulted. Uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent is covering this in today's paper and Ralph joins me. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, You're welcome. Now, when and where did this um, alleged assault actually happen? Yeah, it happened at 8pm on Saturday, August the 8th 
and the incident occurred at Pierce Road in Ballyfehan in Cork City. And what happened, Patricia, was that these two young Chinese gentlemen, they're both aged in their early 20s, uh, Martin Hong and Arthur Ma, uh, they're both students, they're also working in Cork, and they were walking back to their, their rented property when a group of teens uh, was approaching them, and the men became aware of the fact that the teens were passing comments about the coronavirus and COVID-19 and the source of it and the Chinese virus. And they were, they were quite upset by the comments, and they had, they, they, as they were approaching the teens, they, they asked, them, Look, you know, what are you saying? And it escalated from there. So, I mean, the, the teens were quite abusive. Um, they were giving them, making rude gestures and whatever to the two Chinese men. Um, bizarrely, the teenagers brought up the whole issue about Black Lives Matter. Um, the relevance of that seemed to bemuse the two Chinese gentlemen and has stunned everyone else who's been dealing with the story as regards, you know, if anything, it would have said that, you know, you treat um, minority groups uh, with respect and Absolutely. that you're very careful of of racist comments or anything that could be perturbed or per- perceived as, you know, a racist comment. But that's what the teens brought up to these two Chinese men. Now, one of them was so upset that he decided to record the incident on his phone. And when he did that, it seemed to provoke quite a response from the, the, the three teens. One of them also tried to record the incident and suddenly started claiming that the Chinese men had been insulting to Ireland. Um, at one point, one of the Chinese men, Martin Hong, tried to say, look, you know, reason with them and explain to them about how hurtful they had found the comments. And at that point then, what had been a very um, insulting verbal exchange suddenly escalated into an assault. So uh, Martin Hong was struck several times in the face with a fist. Um, he fell to the ground. He briefly lost consciousness. And he was then subjected to a prolonged attack. His friend was also attacked by another member of the group. And the teens then fled the scene. Now, as it transpired, uh, an elderly woman was walking by. She came upon the two Chinese men, obviously very distraught and injured. And she came over to check were they okay. And this good Samaritan then rang the guardie. The guardie attended the scene. And they brought the two men to Cork University Hospital, where they were kept overnight. Um, they were treated for soft tissue injuries, um, bruises and cuts to the face. Um, probably the most serious injury that was involved was that Martin Hong had damage done to his teeth. Wow. So he's he's had to go to a dentist a couple of times since then. There was His eye was swollen to the point of almost being closed. Um, there was blood coming from his nose. Um, and they were very, very upset by what had happened. Now, I should, yeah, I should stress the Gardaí are following a definite line of inquiry in relation to this. They're appealing for any witnesses. They're also checking CCTV footage from the general area to see movements of groups of teens or, or that would fit the description of the teenagers. But it's had a fairly you know, traumatic impact on these two young men who came um, to Cork in Ireland to, to pursue a better life. To, to you know, enhance their careers, and I suppose the fact that it, it 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 actually happened before the incident involving that Chinese woman in Dublin who was pushed into a canal, but it really made headlines after her case um, attracted global headlines, and it has really raised questions about you know how we treat minority groups here in Ireland, and exactly um, how we're educating youngsters about respect for others. Absolutely, and how long are these two men uh, living in Cork? They've been. 
here for about a year, um, um, Patricia. They, they, they love Ireland. They've spoke very highly of Ireland. But what is actually quite um, upsetting for anyone who takes great pride in the type of country that Ireland is, is to hear the, the level of um, racist abuse that they have been subjected to, particularly since last February or March when the COVID-19 virus uh, emerged. They've had a lot of verbal abuse um, associating China with the virus and, and the, the restrictions that have been imposed on, on, on Irish life over public health. Um, issues and probably the most shocking element of what Martin Hong had to say was that um, he, he was once verbally abused he said by a bunch of toddlers there were small children he reckoned they weren't walking very long they weren't talking very long and yet he said you know what came out of their mouths was effectively a be- racist abuse towards people who weren't uh, you know weren't weren't Irish and were from an ethnic minority group picking it up at home obviously where where do young children learn. Well, it does raise serious issues about, you know, where children, I mean, you know, I think children hear this from others, um, whether it's online, whether it's television, whether it's seeing it in the home, but it raises serious questions about how we're educating young people and how youngsters represent this country and how they reflect the values that Ireland has always prided itself on in that we've always been a very welcoming country. We have always taken the rights of minorities very seriously and we've seen ourselves as probably... Well, again, and it's a question of are, are we correct in our view of our country in that we have always considered ourselves to be one of the least racist countries around. And obviously that may not be an accurate view anymore, given the, the increasing number of incidents that are happening ar- around the country. And how are they both doing now, uh, Martin and, and, and Arthur? Are, are they nervous about going out? Yeah, physically they're OK, Patricia. Um, I think Martin is going to need some ongoing uh, tr- dental treatment. Uh, because of the damage that was suffered to his mouth. But I think the most um, alarming aspect of this is that the two men are effectively afraid to go outside their home now. This incident didn't happen that very far from where they're living in rented accommodation, and they're effectively afraid that they may be targeted for a follow-up attack. Uh, So they're very careful when they go out. I mean, it was very moving to hear him say that they went out to do their shopping one evening and they were very conscious of going out, very careful of who was around them. It just so happened a teenager came around the corner and the teenager said hello to them and they didn't know how to respond on the basis that whatever they said, was it going to provoke another incident or another attack? Now, I should say, I've always believed that there are more good people out there Mm. than there are mindless idiots and they've been overwhelmed with um, offers of support, sympathy. I mean, there's a number of people have actually contacted, I think your sister station uh, above in the city, people actually offering to accompany them when they do their shopping to make sure that they feel oh, isn't safe. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't yeah, that brilliant. I think that's the Ireland that we all need to, to encourage. That's it, that's it. Listen, Ralph, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good morning to you. That is uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent and as Ralph said, the guard, the are appealing to anyone who witnessed that incident, Pierce Road in Ballyfehan and it was on the August the 8th at about 8 o'clock so a nice summer's evening there surely was people around if you saw uh, anything and, and can we wish Arthur and uh, his friend Martin that they make a full recovery and that they get their confidence back and that they get to continue to stay living here in Cork and continue to uh, enjoy it. Some of your texts coming into the programme. Domamwe is flooded this morning, says a texter, with politicians in the hierarchy from Cork County Council. I just wonder what they'll actually do for the town, which was already on its knees before this flooding event, by the way. I'm not seeing a lot of social distancing going on, says this 
uh, texter and obviously that person is referencing the fact that about now actually there's an event happening. It's the Minister with Responsibility for the Office of uh, Public Works, Patrick O'Donovan. He's visiting the West Cork area today and I know we've sent Fiona Cork in our news report it down. She'll be talking to us after uh, 12 just to see is there any it's, it's funding. We want emergency funding to come very quickly to West Cork to try to sort out the mess they find themselves in after the two flood events that happened in about 72 hours. We were talking about it last Thursday and then again it happened again Friday into Saturday morning. Actually there's a really good piece in the Echo uh, today. Dara Birmingham talking with uh, Niall Grant who's the general manager we've spoken with Niall on this programme. He's the general manager with the Celtic Grass Hotel in uh, Ross Garber and he was you know talking about particularly Ross Garber, Dunmanway and Rathbury devastated by the heavy rain in recent days. Homes and businesses left flooded. Roads severely damaged. Uh, Niall says that the damage in the area has affected the people badly. He talks about places like Longstrand and Glandor, beautiful areas, but the road to Longstrand completely broken up, covered in potholes, while Glandor is not accessible through the normal route. He said for people who are visiting West Cork at this time of year, they can't even go and see some of the most beautiful places it has to offer. And Niall Grant of the Celtic Ross makes the point that this is an area that's on the wild Atlantic way. So the road network should be one of the best driving routes in the world. He says if we're serious about the wild Atlantic way and about West Cork being a destination that people can drive around to see these beauty spots and experience and everything that it has to offer, we've got to have a road system that can handle it better. Well said, Niall. As I said, we will get an update on what's happening in West Cork. We'll do that later on on the programme today. Now, on face masks, and there is some reaction to Marie who contacted us who uh, works in a shop, a boutique outlet, small boutique. A woman came in, young woman came in on, on Saturday she said could you please put a mask on and the lady first of all said no I'm ill and I don't need to wear one but then she went on to say she was being discriminated against about being asked to wear a mask she was saying there isn't a law out there that can force me to wear a mask and she was trying to show literature on her phone and you know Marie said look I didn't want to to have con- and, and she, she doesn't want to have confrontations in the workplace but she said you know I'm doing my job for the health of the other customers and for the staff and that's why she asked anybody coming into the shop who hasn't got a mask on because in the main people don't have a mask on because they've forgotten to put it on but as soon as she points out to them you haven't got your mask on they'll put their mask on immediately except for this young woman who decided no that she, her civil rights her civil liberties are being imposed upon and she doesn't want to wear a mask some of your thoughts on that hi Patricia everybody has the right to choose not to wear a mask. But in making that choice, says this listener, they need to understand that a person refusing to serve them also has the same right to refuse them service or entry into their premises. If somebody has an illness, prevent them from wearing a mask, then they need to get some kind of a certificate from their GP and that should be produced. I myself, says this texter, have struggled with the masks and I now use a face shield. It does feel a little bit it's strange, but it's better for me than, than a mask. So there is another way around. If you don't want to wear the actual face mask that goes over your mouth, get one of the visors instead. Uh, Sheila says, Hi Patricia, a little tip for people wearing the blue disposable masks and the, they're not always wearing them properly. After you have pinched it to fit your nose, twist the earbands before placing them over the ears. This secures the mask under your chin and it stops it riding up. It reduces the need to constantly adjust it. Stay safe from the loons. 
we have to share this planet with, says uh, Sheila. And hi, uh, Patricia, enjoying your programme on the issue of face covering. Is it not a better option than a face mask or a ventilator in an intensive care unit in a hospital? I rest my case, kind regards. That's from Kay. Well said, uh, Kay. Thank you uh, for that. Hi, Patricia. My daughter's father and his girlfriend refuse to wear masks. They've two young children of their own and my daughter obviously stays with them at the weekends. They've told my daughter that you don't need to wear a mask when you're going into a shop. And if anybody asks you why you're not wearing a mask, she's been told, tell the shop owner you suffer from asthma, which by the way, she doesn't. Neither does my daughter's father, his girlfriend, are the two young children. Very irresponsible, very inconsiderate. I think it is so, so wrong. Isn't that incredible? And that goes back to Marie, her initial email when she confronted the young woman and said, why aren't you wearing, please put a mask on. Initially she said, oh, I am ill. And she said, I have no way of knowing if she is or if she isn't. And there is that danger that some people will, who just don't want to wear the mask, will use that as a scam. Sure, we we all could be, oh, I'm asthmatic, I, I can't wear a mask. But yet when we brought the Asthma Society on, they said that people with asthma should be wearing masks. And they suggested that you just keep trying until you find a mask that suits you. And as the previous listener said, if you really think you still can't breathe with a mask on, then use a visor instead. There are other ways uh, around it. And a Douglas listener says, Patricia, uh, please ask people to handle their masks properly. People are pulling them off with their hands and then shoving them into their pockets so the virus could end up landing on their hands. When you wear the mask, you've got to be very... The, the donning and doffing of masks is so, so important. And any of the reusable masks you need to take them off if you can have I always have a little do a little plastic bag like a sandwich bag I also have one of those with me and I just pop it into that and then straight into the machine when I come home but you are right I have seen people uh, do that and I know if you're coming out of a shop and you're going somewhere and you you don't have the plastic bag with with you but you need to take you're meant to not take them off from the over your ear where the elastic is over your ear that's the part you're meant to touch. That Douglas listener is right. You will see people who will put their hand right over the front of the mask, which is covering their mouth, and pull it off that way. That is the absolutely wrong way to do it. So please, we want people to use the mask, but you need to be careful. And just an update from the National Drivers Licence Centre that we have had I think we contacted them last week about this because we had a listener who needs to renew their driving licence. I think they're, they're in the over 70s category and they need to call in in person. And of course, you can't just do walk in. You need to book it online, but you have to pay for it by card. That's the only way they are accepting payment. There was a time when they used to accept money. They don't anymore. And the listener who contacted us said, I don't have a bank card, don't have a visa, don't have a debit card, but I need to get my licence. What, what can I do? So we got on to the National Driver's Licence, the NDLS centres, who tell us, unfortunately, we are no longer in a position to accept payments at the NDLS centres other than card payments. They won't accept a cheque either, by the way. We apologise for any inconvenience caused, but this is in relation to circumstances beyond our control. They don't say what the circumstances are because we had somebody saying, could, could I not get a postal order? Could I not get a bank draft from the credit union? And they're saying no, card payment is the only way. They do say that the NDLS will process debit and credit card payments in accordance with the payment card industry rules. If you wish to use a third party debit or credit card for payment, 
then the third party must be present in person to make the payment. Oh no. Okay, because we had suggested to that listener, did he have perhaps had a son or a daughter or a family member that they could give the money to and then they could use their debit or credit card instead. So that is, it is possible to do that. But that person also needs to be present in person, which is putting another person into the fray. It's not making any sense to me at all. I really, I'd love to know what are the circumstances beyond their control that is not allowing them to at least allow them to take a postal order or a bank draft. I can understand if they don't want to be there with the handling of cash, but it's, it's not making any sense to me at all. 1850 But just to let you know, that is the update. If you need to go in in person to the driving licence test centre and you don't have a bank account, don't have a bank card, then you, the person whose card you're using must come with you. Back to masks. Eileen, I was in Pennies in Wilton yesterday and have to say most people were wearing their masks, says Eileen. But, well, was a but, there was two women. They were together, they had no masks on. One of them was actually coughing. They were in the queue going in to Pennies and by the way, they weren't stopped going in or going out, says uh, Eileen. And I'm assuming, Eileen, you would have preferred if they were challenged and asked why aren't you wearing a mask? And if they didn't have one with, with them, refuse them entry. A lot of people are saying that. They would prefer for their safety if businesses refused people entry because you wear the mask to protect other people. Morning, Patricia. Hearing on the news this morning that CUH is overloaded again with people having to wait for very long times. We are not even into winter yet and we have this situation again. All the more reason for our local hospitals to be used, the likes of Bantry and Mallow and brought up to date with A&E departments. Surely by now they've seen the errors of their ways not doing this when asked before. We still have coaches going to Belfast for the cataract buses which Michael Collins started. We need to ask and even demand to have our local hospitals updated services. Look at the damage done to our West Cork roads. Think of trying to travel by road to get to Cork University Hospital when you're ill, says uh, Heidi. Or imagine trying to do it in the height of labour. Not a nice journey for sure. 1850-333-103. Sadie and John Paul are taking your calls. If you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Dermot Casey, tree hire. They're recruiting for lead climbers, groundsmen, forest crane operators and tractor hedge cutter operators. A broadband technician is wanted, that's for work in the Bandon area, while a full-time steel erector is required immediate start, that's in Carrigaline. And a full-time sous chef and a part-time trainee chef all required for Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now a COVID-19 compliance officer who contracted the virus is appealing to people to stick to the public health advice and realise just how easy it is to be hit by this dreadful virus. Kiron Breslin is from County Meath and he joins me to share his story this morning. Good morning to Kiron. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, go back and tell me, when did you start to feel unwell and what were your early symptoms? Okay, um, I went to bed on Tuesday the 21st of July as normal and had the alarm set for 5.30am the following morning on Wednesday just to get up and do two hours cycling before work. And my alarm went at half five on the Wednesday morning and I stood out of bed and I thought I was going to collapse. Um, I thought I was going to faint. I held on to the bedside locker and I said, right, okay, that doesn't 
seem right. I thought initially it was just a rush of blood to the head, you know, if you jump up my, my too quickly or um and I went to walk out to the toilet and I could barely walk, could barely move my legs and I held on to the walls, anything just to get me to the toilet. Um I coughed up a small bit of mucus. Uh, it wasn't too alarming, wasn't too much. Um and I made the call fairly quickly. Okay, you're not going training this morning, end the story. Um go back to bed for an hour or so, see how you feel in an hour and then you're gonna make a call and work. Um so I went back to bed, felt no different after an hour. I text my boss, he rang me and I said, Look, um it's not safe. I'm a COVID compliance officer. I have some symptoms. Just I'm I want to get a test maybe today, tomorrow, whenever just to rule it out and we can take it from there. And he was 100% agreeable. He was there, yeah, do what you have to do. So I I got the test on the Wednesday at 2 p.m. and managed to pull myself out of bed, get dressed, got the test. And then uh, felt no real improvement. And on the Friday evening, I got a phone call to say that my test was positive. Were you shocked? Absolutely, 100% shocked because um, I never got word I have the app obviously on my phone. Um, I never got word from anybody that I was around someone that was showing symptoms. My only guess is that I either picked it up somewhere or I picked it up off somewhere, someone that was asymptomatic. Um, I've been 100% careful since this dreadful virus really took hold of us in early March. Um, I've done everything I can, like even some contractors and I was dealing with were saying, you of all people to get it, like you were just doing everything by the book, um, and it just kind of it kind of drives home the mess, Patricia. That it's so easy picked up, easily easily and picked up. Kieran, how sick did you become? Um, I got the positive result on the Friday. On the Saturday morning, I woke and I couldn't I couldn't lift my head off the pillow. I literally couldn't move. Um, no appetite. Uh, for about three days, I was totally bedridden. Totally and utterly bedridden. Um, the fourth day, between the Tuesday and Wednesday, I managed, right, I kind of set myself small targets. Okay, you're going to get dressed. End of story. You're going to get dressed this morning. Um, managed to do that. Managed to sip on smoothies for the next couple of days. That was the only thing that I could stomach. Um, and they lasted for about 10 days, about 9 to 10 days. And after that, it was just, it was gradual improvement. Every Trisha. day. Every, every day. day it was gradual. Yeah, every um, day. Did you, did you end up developing a bad cough? No, no, no. That was one thing I didn't. It didn't go into my lungs. Um, I'm, I suppose... People have referred to me as an ultra cyclist. I would do a, quite a large amount of training. Um, I can only assume that it hold, the doctor was was on the phone to me saying, you're holding a really high level of fitness. Um, and he can only put that down to that it didn't actually transfer into my lungs. Great. Touch wood, great. That it didn't, Did you, know. you get the high temperature? No. no. I, did, I mm. had no high temperature. Um, the, only, the only symptom I had really, Patricia, was the chronic chronic fatigue I've never felt fatigue like it it was literally if you stood up you felt like you're going to fall asleep um, you had to sit back down um, if you're sitting back down like you were literally nodding off sporadically throughout the day yeah I've heard ev- everyone I've interviewed who's had COVID-19 talks about that chronic fatigue mm. and the smallest you know 
a walk up the stairs. It was yeah. as if you climbed to Mount Everest, absolutely yeah. exhausted with it. And it's interesting coming from somebody like you who has such a high level of fitness mm-hmm. to experience that kind of, of tiredness. Have you made a full recovery? I have, yeah. Um, I came out of uh, self-isolation on Saturday the 8th of August. Um, to be honest, it's I haven't I've I have made well I'd say I'm ninety five percent recovered. I still will get the get the fatigue. Um, the, like I'm back to work since last uh, this day last week. Okay, but I'd still I was in bed at eight o'clock on the Tuesday. You know, um, I was just wiped, just absolutely exhausted. Um, I'm still getting. Uh, like I'm, I'm, my sleep is, is literally could be nine or ten hours some night, and that's probably going to stay with me for a while. But look at I'm I'm back eating, I'm back healthy, I'm back working, and that's the main thing, you know. Are you back training? Um, I've kind of well, I, I work with a coach, and we we kind of ease ourselves back into we're not going back into where we were um, pre-COVID because we're just going to wipe ourselves out. Um, so it's it's very much a case of. As much as I'd like to say that I'm, I'm back doing it full time, I'm not at the okay. moment. Hey, listen, be gentle and be kind to yourself. Did yeah. you find self-isolation tough? Um, by far, that was the toughest two weeks I've ever done, um, probably mentally, in my life, Patricia. And that's that's been honest with you. Um, I did an, an August bank holiday weekend when the weather was decent. Um, I literally, and I'll everyone I've spoken to I got my phone on the Saturday of the August Bank holiday weekend and I threw it into a drawer and it did not come back out until Monday evening um, I couldn't stomach looking on social media people going off hiking going off cycling going off running and I was stuck literally in four walls of a house um, really 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 tough um, and anyone that's out there uh, advice that's, that's the best it, it, it worked for me was just to lay off the social media to lay off all the platforms um, it just it would it would knock the stomach out of you to be quite honest with you and um, I think in the early days when, in the early days of the virus when you were feeling so unwell it was fine you were took to the bed yeah, and, and that was exactly. it it's as you're getting stronger and better but that's the so important time that you need to remain indoors because if you had decided to go I'm feeling fine I'll go out that's when you will shred the virus and pass it Absolutely, on to 100%. You're not like, and I've, I've made this plea nationally, um, self-isolation is 14 days. It's not eight days. It's not 10 days. It's not till you feel, you're, you're literally contagious for them 14 days. Um, I've heard horror stories up here in Mead of uh, people nipping to the shop and telling the person, shop assistant, saying, I'm just self-isolating, but I need these essentials. Like this is absolutely crazy in this day and age, self isolation and self isolation. Um, I've asked people just pass my number on if you're looking for bare essentials, anything at all, anything I can do, I get them to you. Some of us, somebody will get them to you. Right? Yeah. Please do not stay indoors. Yeah. Stay indoors. As tough as it is, this is the only way we're going to surpass this virus. And then contact tracing obviously had to kick in for you, Kiron, when when you tested positive. And obviously, I'm assuming family members and and work colleagues. Yeah. Do you know if you passed? I know this is an awful question, but do you know? Did you pass it on to anyone without no, you I knowing didn't. it? I didn't. Um, all my I had five close contacts. Okay. Um, so basically, I didn't realise at the time when the contact tracing team 
uh, rang me back and they said, okay, we need your close contacts from 48 hours prior to showing symptoms. It's not the 14 days. I thought it was 14 days and I was thinking, oh my God, where do I start? Okay. With 14 days. So 48 hours prior to showing symptoms is when you're, contagious, you're the contagious section before the symptoms. So um, I had five close contacts. I had two family members, including my four-year-old niece. Oh. And I had my mom who was high risk. Um, they were two close contacts. And then I had three during, through work. Um, I felt total, there was two, two of my close contacts through work. I barely knew. I didn't have the numbers. Um, but I did sit in the same room as them. Uh, prior to showing symptoms so I had to pick up the phone on a Saturday morning I had to make a couple of calls to get their numbers and I just felt Patricia for my own peace of mind was it was like the contact tracing team did say this can stay anonymous and um, we just contact them saying they've been in been in contact with a confirmed case yeah. and we need you to get t- tested but I just felt for my own peace of mind I think it's 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 best like there's probably a stigma attached to COVID-19 now that people are afraid to come out um, and I made does that call. does that worry you? This this perceived stigma about it. Um, it does, and I, I, the the message I would send out to absolutely everyone is that anybody can get this. Yeah. Absolutely anybody. Um, it's not going to discriminate. Uh, so that was the that was the line I kind of talk from it um, I picked up the phone I rang these two people I barely knew um, and I said look I've tested positive um, contact tracing team I have to pass your number on to them and they were absolutely a million percent they were totally grateful there was one woman in particular she said oh my god thank you so much I've elderly parents yeah. um, and I visit them most days thank you so much now I, I, I know I can't visit them for X amount of days whatever yeah, the contact yeah. tracing team tell me um, if I didn't pick up the phone and Imagine if they she tested positive and yeah, and then they her parents end end up yeah, and they they but they all tested negative. You reckon all, all of you? All well, that's good. Negative. That's good. Thank God. That is good. Sure, yeah, and then God. obviously you started Kieran soul searching and thinking back on the previous week, trying to work out where you could possibly have picked it up. What what conclusions did you come to? Um, well, can, I can only think it was two areas where I felt maybe I let my guard down in the previous 14 days to showing symptoms. Um, it can take anything up to 14 days to show symptoms. Okay. Um, there was one that jumps out at me. Now, I'm, I'm only clutching at straws here is I went, during work, I went to a petrol pump just to get petrol for a lawnmower that we were using. And as I, wa- as I got back, work I realised I'd no glove and I'd no hand sanitizer with me um, from the petrol pump as easy as it might as simple as it might sound um, and I hand sanitised my hands then and that was that was two days prior to showing symptoms um, the previous Saturday showing symptoms so it was four days prior I was cycling the Wicklow Mountains I went into a toilet I didn't take off cycling gloves to wash my hands probably should have um, using the toilet, um, and it was just it was it was a rush thing, kind of more so than anything to get back out on the bike. And they were the only two areas where I felt I let my guard down. Now, no one has come forward to say that there were uh, they had symptoms around me, and 
unless I picked it up someone that was asymptomatic. Yeah, that it's very possible that you were you could have been standing in a supermarket, you could have been Absolutely. anywhere yeah, near anywhere. somebody who didn't have um, yeah. uh, symptoms. Does it frighten you to hear about the house parties and uh, people going abroad and coming back and not self-isolating on return? Um, this really scares me, Patricia. My dad is in his mid-70s and I'll tell you no word of a lie, Saturday night gone, he was kept awake most of the night with a house party around the corner. Wow. And he lay awake and he told me Sunday, he says, I lay awake and thinking of you after spending 14 days in self-isolation and these guys, younger people, now it's younger, it's the younger generation now, Patricia, um, that just simply don't care. Um, now, I would bring it back, I'm not a, I rarely drink alcohol nowadays. Um, I think I've, I was only saying it to a uh, brother the other night. I think I've drank three alcoholic drinks since last December. Um, and I really feel for the pub trade at the moment. The rural pub trade that are are really getting punished for a lot of this. To serve alcohol in a controlled environment, surely, to God, is, is safer bet than a house party. Mm. Surely. Um now, and as I said, it doesn't bother me in the slightest if the pubs never open because the chances are I probably won't go. Um, but I really feel for the viable businesses that are going to, a lot, some of them are never going to reopen. Um, with regards to people travelling abroad and self, not self-isolating, like we had a, we had a case um, locally a few weeks ago, a family came home from Haldis and sent the young lad straight out to play, play a Gaelic match and the two teams, two clubs had to self-isolate them. They were pulled out, out, out of the championship. Like that's, it's just not thinking. It's, I don't think some people are taking it seriously enough. I think it's got a lot to do with uh, it should never happen to me. Or if it does happen to me, it'll be mild, I'll be fine. Absolutely, that's 100%. Stupid and it, a lot of it as well, and I see it myself, is some people just can't take advice. They can't be told what to do. Like, um... I, I've seen it, like I've seen comments all over Facebook, I'm not wearing a face mask, I'm not going to get a vaccine if a vaccine comes out. You know, like, and if it comes to me, I'm not going to self-isolate. Like, with this mindset, Patricia, we're we're going to struggle to suppress this virus. Yeah. With some, now, the yeah. general people, like the likes of the normal everyday soaps, like likes myself, I know another woman who got COVID-19, self-isolate, done everything right, and overcame it. Now, she still struggles because she's asthma. Mm. Um, but she did everything right. And the fact that the virus didn't transfer to any of our family members, any of our friends, everyone came back negative and the same with me. That's how we, we will surpass this virus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're unlucky to get it, it doesn't mean you have to pass it on to everybody else. No, exactly. Listen, uh, Kieran, uh, we wish you continued good health and thank you for sharing your story with us today. No problem. We appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Kieran Breslin there uh, from County Meath. This day last week, Mallow, father of two, Adrian Healy, completed a lifelong ambition by swimming the English Channel in a very respectable time of 11 hours and 49 minutes uh, to relive his achievement. Adrian Healy joins me. Good morning to you, Adrian. Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well. Firstly, congratulations uh, to you. you. What did it feel like when you realised you'd done it, that you'd completed the channel? Oh God. Um, I, I, do you know what? I, I was asked that question this morning actually as well. Um, I'm not, it was just relief I suppose really. Relief. 
in in knowing that you could do something, but because of what had gone on beforehand, to actually achieve it was it was just pure relief, really. Yeah. What was pure the relief. what was the toughest part? Um, it's funny actually with with the the amount of I suppose uh, issues going on in the channel at the moment. The toughest part was at the very start of the swim. You you actually have to swim into the beach to to start. So you have to raise your hands. And um, I had the pilot were in a little rib, and he was convinced there was movement on the beach. And it's three o'clock in the morning. He doesn't want to you know send you in there if there's people on this in Safar Hole. So as as the light was shining on the beach. All we could see was these two figures moving. And then he realised it was actually our own two shadows. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, so the drama of artists, so that took my mind off it. Okay. Um, I suppose the first two or three hours were the toughest um, because, you you're, you know, you're swimming out into the unknown. You don't know what's ahead of you. Um, you're trusting your crew. Um, and it's pitch dark. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. Yes. Yes, it was an early start. Um, you start, I suppose, in the morning like that. It's it's to to meet the tides. Okay. Um, so that was the decided start. There was nine other boats gone out ahead of me, so I was I was the last boat to start on on Tuesday morning. But but you're so. swimming in the dark. Yes, yeah. swimming in the dark. Um, you have. There's some unusual activity going on underneath. Um, you you get a few. Um, uh, there was interesting. There's a few fish that were letting off a bit of light that I'd never seen before in my life. Um, but the good thing about nighttime swimming fish is the, the jellyfish tend to go to sleep for a while. And nobody needs the so, jellyfish they, anywhere but, near you. Yeah, but they do wake up. <laughs> they do wake up, um, and then they meet you around halfway across in the two shipping lanes. You you meet. You meet a whole lot of jellyfish, you know. And they keep you awake then? Well, they just distract you, really, from the other pains that are going on. They give you another shot in the arm and, and then you, you forget about what's hurting, you know. Oh, wow, um, wow. But, but that aside, it was, look, it was good. It was, um, it was actually, I had a brilliant crew and, you know, the pilot was fantastic. And um, it was just a dream swim. Everything went brilliant. And, like, the time, I'm just, over the moon with the time. I'll have bragging rights for a long time. It's to brilliant. Come it's, it's really so, brilliant. Yeah. And it, okay, it wasn't your first attempt. My first attempt was last summer. So I would have trained, well, I trained for a couple of years with Mallow Masters and then I moved on then to Brookfield um, above by UCC where I trained with, um, I had a coach called Eilish Burns and she had me basically clocking up to Bones of 120, 130 kilometres in a pool every month. My gosh. Um, so you'd, you'd probably hit maybe five, 5K every morning and then you'd have a six hour to do on a Sunday um, in the pool. So that was interesting. So the first swim, look, things went, went against me between weather, getting sick, I suppose four hours in and then swimming on empty for another seven hours and eventually... Look, I, I put it down now that it's it's done, that I was just checking out my landing spot for this year. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> where I put it down. To, so. And of course, there's very, um, we've spoken on uh, many occasions here in the programme with um, Steve Redmond from West Cork, who's yes. of course done the, the Ocean 7. Um, but yes. he talks about, like, there's such strict rules around this swim, isn't there? You know, there's, yes. like you can't touch the yes. boat and all of that. And then you never actually know until the day if you're going to be able to swim or not. Yes, that that was the hardest 
this time because I was going back and because, you know, there were so many people had faith in me to go back um, and, and trusted, like, the support of the family is just, like, you can't do it without your family support. But in the in the year that we've had with COVID and the pools being closed and stuff, I was just, you know, so nervous going over. Um, and especially being the UK and you're locked up in a hotel, mm. you're waiting for your pilot to ring you. He 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 rang me on the Sunday night and said Monday morning was off. And um, Monday morning I rang him and he said Tuesday looks better. And then when you ring him Monday evening, Tuesday is off because Wednesday looks better. So the weather keeps kind of slightly yeah. adjusting. And at that point I just had to call it and say, Look, Andy we, we uh, Andy King was my boat pilot um from over and over and I said, Look, Andy, I think we just need to go tonight. We just need to kill it. Because you have expenses, like every night you're over there, you're you're paying for your crew and everything. So yeah. expenses are, are just mounting up. Um, but yeah, the strictness of it, like you can't touch the boat, you're, you're feeding from a bottle at the end of a string. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some tough stories out there of people that get so close and it gets stopped for whatever reason. And... You know, it, it could be 100 metres from the French shore and, oh. and it's null and void, you know. Oh, and dreadful, so it, dreadful. And there's that amazing, there's that, the, that amazing statistic that more people have reached the top of Mount Everest than have conquered yes. the channel. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I was looking over those this morning and uh, helped with one of my car colleagues. You have something like 5,000, I think, have climbed Everest, where you've just over 2,000 have done a solo in, in mm. the channel. Well, um, um, so yeah, I did, I'm, I'm delighted with it. Um, like the average swim time is sixteen thirty-two, I think, mm. over all the years, and and to do eleven forty-nine. Coming under twelve is 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 is, is, is absolutely uh, incredible. Yeah. And you use the swim to raise money for the wonderful Mallow Daycare Centre. Yes, yes, I am. Um, that was the the first year of training. I decided um, because of what I was doing. And Eilish Burns, uh, who was coaching, she doesn't take any fees from us, nothing provided. You know, you can pick a charity and no better charity than Mallow Daycare. Um, my own father has gone there. So um, I was just overwhelmed with the support I got from, from the local community and through work colleagues and all just to, to get, I think it was just um, €7,000. So oh, I was delighted with that. Fantastic. Um, now this year I went a bit under the radar to get the swim done because you you can't keep reaching out to the same people. I know. You know. I know. You know, I, know. So I just was happy that money was banked and with the daycare centre and then to actually get the swim done after people supporting me the way they did was, was just brilliant. And when did you develop an interest in this in long distance swimming? Um I suppose like like a lot of fellas really when the GA career in you're getting so many splinters on the bench. I <laughs> I um I I joined I moved back to Mallow from I was working with Green Corps and um when Green Corps were shutting down operations in Kildare and stuff I moved back home and got married and I joined um, Mallow Masters and I started doing you know, the more sims I was doing, it became a lap of Sandy Cove, it became different things and the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. Um, and then I got to a stage where, you know, you need to drop the, the wetsuit and just do it in your togs. And the more I built up the immunity to the cold, um, the more I realised, you know, that this this can be done. Like, there's, there's targets out there and, and have a cut off one of them. Um, 
it's very funny you mentioned Steve Redmond. He he posted a lovely um, message that I got on the whiteboard during the swim uh, last Tuesday. Yeah. And I had done, to do the English Channel, you have to do qualifying swim. So a six hour in water temperature of, say, 14 degrees um, is, is what's required, 14 or less. So I had done two six hours this summer in Loch Ine. Yeah. So I'm swimming away in the channel. The next thing up was the whiteboard and it says, Steve Redmond just phoned, which you're thinking, God, like what Steve Redmond's ringing, you know? And uh, he said, get the swim done and get the hell out of Loch Ah, that'll be Steve. Fantastic. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And what, yeah. for you, swim wise, have you, what's next? Or is there a next? Um, uh, <laughs> I better not mention it or I'd be shocked. So at the moment, it's. Stoning tools and a bit of family time because, yeah, in fairness, any time I went to the beach with the kids the last two years, it's um, you know I go missing for an hour or two and then I come back and you do the sandcastles. Where no, you can just do the sandcastles straight away. You know? And that's important so, as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And enjoy yeah. your your downtime because you certainly deserve it. Everyone's very proud of you, uh, Adrian. And thanks a million for sharing it with us today on the program. No problem. Thanks. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Adrian Healy there uh, from Mallow. It's an amazing achievement to swim the uh, English Channel, and he did it this day last week. Uh, Just to congratulate him. 1850-333-103. Cork County Council want to advise traffic diversion on the N71 at Roscarbury will remain in place until 7 pm this evening. It's to facilitate the emergency road repairs that are underway. Eastbound traffic is diverted through the village and the westbound traffic will remain unaffected. Okay, that's on the N70 at uh, Roscarbury. Actually, on that topic, uh, we're hoping to speak with Fiona Corcoran, our news reporter, in the next hour, because uh, she was down in West Cork, or she is down in West Cork this morning, because the Minister with Responsibility for the Office of Public Works, Patrick Donovan, is visiting the area to assess the damage that was suffered due to the flooding over the last uh, recent days. So we'll catch up on that story. Uh, And also, it's on Tuesday Joe Heffernan will join us it's all coming up after news at 12 The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork so if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it email info at c103.ie The Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit Cork coco.ie C103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. So we were speaking in the last hour with uh, Ralph Regal. Uh, he joined me to talk about that dreadful assault, um, an alleged racist assault that happened to those two men from China who were assaulted by three youths in Cork City. It was in the Ballyfahan Pierce Road in Ballyfahan on the 8th of uh, August and Ralph also referenced the awful, shocking thing that happened to the Chinese woman in Dublin last Friday when she was verbally abused and then pushed into the canal by a group of of youngsters who were mocking her nationality and they were young. I mean, they looked about, the video clip I saw, they looked about 12, 13, 14. I mean, they were young, young uh, teenagers. Well, that has prompted a a texter, there isn't a name on this to say, with regards to the incidents that happened both in Barifihan and the one in Dublin in the canal, It's ironic that both Chinese people approached others in both incidents, which obviously led to the 
is incidents escalating. Let's be honest, we all need to be careful when we're out and about, whether it is in Ireland or whether for that for that matter anywhere else. Common sense has to prevail and we need to stay safe. Now please understand, I'm not taking sides here. I'd prefer to read the conclusion of the Gardaí investigation before I form an opinion as everybody else should. We shouldn't be judge and jury. I prefer not to sign off on this one. Thanking you. Okay, absolutely. In both cases, both the two gentlemen, the Chinese gentleman and that lady in uh, Dublin, confronted the youngsters and said, you know, stop saying what you're saying. Stop mocking me about my nationality and tried to have a discussion with both of them about racial discrimination. And you're saying that because of that, the incidents escalated. And are you therefore pointing the finger at blame on the people for calling out a, a racist racist abuse. That's what you're saying. Now, I do see the point you're making that, you know, where does, is, is it common sense and do we just all have to look after ourselves and just ignore it? And while as hurtful as it is, you just move on in order that it doesn't escalate and it doesn't get violent because in both these particular cases, it did get violent. I mean, certainly the woman in the canal could have drowned. The man, the two men in the instance of Ballyfahan ended up in hospital. One, he lost a tooth and he's going to spend some time with the dentist and then getting that sorted out. And both have had their, both incidents, their confidence have been knocked to the point that they're afraid to go out, which is, which is shocking. But do we need to stand up to, their bullies at the end of the day, do we need to stand up to racism? Do we need to try to educate young people in the hope that the racism will uh, stop? I'm a bit undecided uh, about your comment and what, what I feel about your comment. I mean, this part of me thinks that that kind of racism needs to be called out. Part of me thinks they were brave to do what they did because I don't know if I would be as brave. I would like to think if I found myself in a situation I was witnessing something like that, that I would be brave enough to intervene and help out the people that were involved. But by doing that, am I escalating the incident? Am I putting myself at risk? Would you be saying to me to walk on by, just ignore it because I might put myself into a situation where I could end up getting attacked. I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit unsettled by your comment. But thank you for it. 1850, it is your view. 1815, you are entitled to it. 1850 By the way, just on the driver's licence, over 70s are entitled to a free driver's licence. I think when I was talking about people who were having problems getting their driving licence from the NDLS, NDLS because they're not accepting funds, they're not accepting cash or cheques or postal orders. I may have said that it was for over 70s people over the age of uh, 70 get their driving licence for free. So if they have to turn up to the NDLS centre, they don't have to worry about having a card with them because their driving licence is free. And thank you for a number of people who pointed that out to me. OK, now masks and the wearing of masks. We're getting people talking about this. Let me give you some of your thoughts on it. And this all stems from Marie, who works in, she's a manager of a small boutique outlet. She confronted a young woman who refused to wear a mask. The woman, the young woman, first of all, said she was ill or she had an illness, so she didn't have to wear one. Then they, when they got into more of a discussion about it, the young woman was saying, you're discriminating against me by asking me to wear a mask. The young woman then said, there's no laws uh, there. You can't force me to wear one. And she was trying to show literature on her phone. And Marie said, look, I didn't really want to confront her, but did feel like she wanted her to she felt she wanted her to ask her to leave to protect the other customers in the store. Anyway, that's led to a lot of people 
talking to us about the wearing of masks. Hi Patricia, I suffer from chronic asthma. I have it under control at the moment, but I'm fed up of this with the asthma. Because I've asthma, I can't wear a mask. I do if they do... I wonder if people suffer from asthma, they will know... I wonder if people who don't suffer from asthma, have you any idea how hard it is to breathe when you get an asthma uh, attack? Uh, it is so important that they wear one. I do. And if they do, so, sorry, I'm a bit confused about that. I should have proofread that text first. OK, I think it's somebody suffering from asthma, finds it very difficult to wear a mask, but realises the importance of wearing the mask. But for people with asthma, because we've had the Asthma Society on just to emphasise that again we have had the Asthma Society on and what they are saying to people is you still have to wear a mask it is important that you wear a mask you must continue uh, to wear to wear mask find a mask that's suitable for you and if you if you're still struggling with the with masks they're suggesting one of the visors I use one of the visors uh, instead someone else says Patricia if ladies are not wearing and are into wearing scarves they will be sufficient to pull up a scarf around your face if you don't want to wear a mask by the way you won't find scarves dumped on any streets says uh, Nora so if people are having difficulty this is with the people disposing of the disposable ones if more people wore scarves they wouldn't be throwing them out on the streets uh, for sure uh, Kevin on Twitter at C103 Cork says there's no need to expand if you're asked to wear a mask and you refuse then get out and keep going that's what I would say to people who don't want to wear a mask Glenn says certain people don't have to wear masks. I thought everyone was aware of this. This, If you throw somebody, somebody out who's exempt from wear, wearing a mask, then you could face a civil claim. Now, I'd question you on that, uh, Glenn. If there's somebody who genuinely can't wear a mask, then they need to have some evidence with them to prove it, like a letter from a doctor with an underlying health condition. You're going to find it very hard to get one of those letters. And if you, if you still feel, and, and if you do have a letter with you, fine, but you can explain that to somebody. But I think what we're hearing from some shop owners are people are Maria I'm exempt I don't have to wear one there's nothing in the there it says in the legislation but it's very particular who can and can't and once you prove that to a shop owner it's fine but it's people who are going in and saying it and then in this case woman felt she was being discriminated against it was nothing really to do with ill health at all and there obviously will be a, a group of people who can't wear one but they unfortunately we need to get into a discussion and explain that to uh, the shop owner. Tom says I've got an underlying health condition and I asked my doctor about the wearing of masks. My doctor actually said to me you're better off wearing a surgical mask and he wouldn't give me a letter which have exempted me from wearing a mask in the shops. To be honest says Tom I'm glad he didn't. I think a lot of people out there are just embarrassed about wearing masks but we have to remember that we wear the masks to protect other people. So we're being selfish almost if we don't wear a uh, mask. Dan is in for Moy and he says there's very, very clearly deep emotions raised around the country about how difficult life can be at the moment, particularly with the regard to the wearing of masks. Now, Dan says, I don't like and don't want to wear one of these masks. And I don't know why, but Dan doesn't want to wear a mask. So his wife and his daughter is doing the shopping. And that's the correct thing to do. If you don't wear a mask, no reason why you shouldn't wear a mask except you don't like wearing it don't 
don't wear it and don't go into the shop. So you're doing the right thing there, Dan. But Dan says, it's not everyone wants to wear a mask. People are wearing them, but not everyone is agreeing with them. I feel the argument this morning on face masks is very one-sided. I feel people are not asking questions on the decisions that are made by NEFET, by the Department of Health or by the government. Uh, they tell us what to do and nobody is challenging them. I always presumed the talk shows were to let people talk about different views. But all the talk shows I've listened to and all the TV shows I've watched lately on COVID-19, they only seem to have one view, which is the view coming from the Department of uh, Health. And Dan feels that the view, some of the decisions they're made should be challenged. OK, at the end of the day, the Department of Health and NEFET and the government take the advice from NEFET. They are the experts the advice that they're passing on, whether we like it or not. And you're right, not everybody likes wearing masks. I'd be the first one to say I don't like wearing the masks, particularly when I'm doing you know, the big shop that you do when you can be in. If I'm just running in and out, I'm OK. But when I'm doing the big shop, I really, really don't like wearing the mask. And I'm glad to get out of the supermarket, get my shopping away and get the mask off as quickly as I can. I'll be, I'll be the first one to say it, but I'm doing it and I'm doing it to protect other people for fear that I would go into the shop and I would have COVID-19 without realising it. I don't want to pass it on uh, to any, anyone else. But would I challenge why I'm wearing a mask? Well, no, I wouldn't because I've, I've read a lot of, of research. Only this morning I mentioned the latest research that has come out from scientists at the Edinburgh in University showing that by wearing a mask... If I, if God forbid I had COVID-19 and I started coughing while I was wearing a mask, my, me wearing the mask, I will block 99.99% of large respiratory droplets released either by a cough or just by speaking. So I'm glad that I'm wearing a mask, that I'm not spreading anything else that I might, might be carrying. And that's what we hope other people do it uh, as well. Am I going to challenge that? Why would I challenge a group of highly educated scientists at the University of Edinburgh? And if you look down, there's many, many more scientists have done research from all over the world. So we have to take the advice from the experts. They are the experts. They are the ones who are looking to like these scientists in Edinburgh. They are the ones who are taking the advice from other countries. And that's why we have to rely on their advice. And we have to, and we mightn't always agree with it. And we certainly didn't agree with the lockdown. And we didn't like the idea that we weren't able to see family members. But we, we, we certainly crushed the curve as we were asked to do. We flattened the curve and we saved a lot of lives because of it. OK, it's starting to rise again but it isn't back up to where it was and hopefully it won't be. But we have to take the advice from these experts. And if, if, if you're going to be challenging every single thing they say, and then if you start looking at the fake news that's out there, and by God, there's a lot of that, particularly on social media, you're into a, a completely different ball game there, Dan. But you are entitled to your opinion. But just be very careful on where you're sourcing the information when you're making an opinion. And that's why chat shows like this and other chat shows and television programmes, you know, we do our best to give the right information and the correct information. We have to be very careful and very responsible about not giving out incorrect information. So if, you know, I don't, I don't know, have you heard and maybe you're leaning towards that you've read something somewhere and 
where did you get it from and it's different you know some people will say oh you can't breathe properly when you wear a mask all of that information was completely debunked by the health uh, experts but yes we are a chat show and yes we do listen to different people's views but we're not here to put across information that's incorrect we certainly will not stand over in any of that 1850 and thank you Dan by the way we do very much appreciate your call Hi Patricia I think it is terrible if older people are going to be locked away again it's not the older people that are going to house parties and causing the virus to spread. It's the younger ones. Now listen to this it's from a Mallow listener. Lock up the young people. Introduce a curfew whereby people are not young people are not allowed out between 8pm at night and until 6am in the morning. That'll kill the house parties. And it will, and then close off the off licences so they can't get their six packs. It's time that the powers that be got it right and stopped clamping down on the over 70s. And that comes in from a Mallow listener who's suggesting a curfew. Now, I don't know if, if you just want a curfew for young people or do you want a curfew for everyone? Because that's what they've done in Melbourne, in Australia. They've introduced a very strict six week lockdown I think they're about two weeks into it now there's a curfew over there nobody's allowed out on the streets now it's a little bit later I think it's from uh, 11 o'clock until 5 in the morning but how would people feel about that if the government and we're waiting to hear it will be this afternoon because the cabinet are meeting today to take on board what Neffert told them uh, yesterday and it is it's been speculated we don't know yet but it's been speculated that older people may be asked to restrict their movements for fear that older people will pick up uh, COVID-19 rather than do that listener is saying if it's the young people and we know the figures that came out this week 79% of all of the new cases are in the under 45s rather than lock up the old people why not lock up the young people and introduce a curfew that nobody the young people are nobody I'd rather than do it on an age put it in for everyone nobody allowed out between 8 in the evening and uh, 6 in the morning so they'll be able to get up and go to work 1850 your thoughts welcome to John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie Kildallery Community Development they've got their next lot draw it's on this Thursday night Kildallery Community Office tickets are on a sale in local outlets and it'll be 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon the Ladies Club and St Mary's GAA are hosting a drive-in bingo at the car park St Mary's GAA Club grounds that's in Enniskeen it's on Friday 7 o'clock books are available at Scannell's Pharmacy and Ballinine and Enniskeen Post Office and as part of Heritage Week in Mitchellstown a free guided family history walking tour will be held this Saturday it starts from Clongibbon House Hotel and it lasts for two hours the check-in is at 11.45 a.m. and you can book your place at 087 358 today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 Now as we mentioned earlier the Minister with the responsibility for the Office of It's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Public Works Patrick O'Donovan is on a visit to West Cork today. It's to assess the damage that was suffered there in recent days. Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, is in West Cork and she joins me. Uh, Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Okay, how did uh, what did Patrick O'Donovan have to say, and did he where did he go to assess the damage? First of all, uh, he went to Ross Carberry this morning. He met with some locals there who had been impacted by the damage by the flooding, which happened on Thursday and again on Saturday. And he was also meeting with engineers from Cork County Council who showed him some of the roads that had been damaged during these flooding incidents. And then he came. To he also went to Conanab before coming to Lomani and he met again with engineers from Cork County Council here and he met with locals and he held a press briefing here in Dunmanway and during that okay, press briefing I'm, I'm he having confirmed. huge problems with that um, John Paul I think what we'll do is we will get Fiona on uh, the phone line uh, it's just it is it literally is just uh, breaking up uh, too much uh, just a couple of your texts coming in Dennis says Patricia did I hear you read out a text blaming the victims the, the Chinese people for the racial abuse is this not the same as when people go to court for say rape and the the person will be asked what was she wearing and she was asking for it it is is just the same. It is unacceptable being a victim of racial abuse. Racial abuse is never acceptable and it should be called out. That's from uh, Dennis. And then another listener said there's actually a video up on Facebook of a man on YouTube in London racially abusing three young men. One of them ended up striking him and knocking him out. The only answer for racism, says a uh, another listener. Okay, Fiona's back on the phone line. Uh, sorry about that, Fiona. You were breaking up too much. Okay, okay. You, were, you were starting to explain to us where Patrick O'Donovan went this morning. Yeah, that's right. He started off in Ross Carberry where he met with locals who had been affected by flooding both on Thursday morning and again on Saturday morning. And he spoke to some of the the property owners there who've had um, houses and businesses destroyed. And he also met with engineers from Cork County Council who showed him some of the roads in that area that had been completely destroyed by the flooding. And we've seen a lot of photographs and videos of those roads over the last couple of days on social media. Um, And he also went over to Conanna before coming to Dunmanway. And again, he met with engineers here from Cork County Council and with locals. And he held a press briefing here in Dunmanway. And during that briefing, he confirmed that today the Minister for Housing and Local Government has said that um, they will be giving some financial assistance to Cork County Council to allow them to uh, carry out those urgent repairs to the wards 
to the roads. Now, we know that Cork County Council yesterday began uh, road works just outside Ross Carberry there. And um, we know that the Ross Carberry to Blandor Road is remaining closed for some time until that road is fixed. So they urgently need this financial support at this time to get those works done and dusted and um, done right and, and done fairly quickly. Um, so he confirmed that that funding is going to be coming to them as well. Now, I asked him as well about the local people who had had properties destroyed. Will they be getting any funding from the government? And he said that they can apply through Intrio for funding. Um, so if anybody has been affected by flooding over the last few days and um, they need some financial assistance, they're to contact the local Intrio office. Um, he also confirmed that um, you know they will be looking at a longer-term solution for these areas. And Patricia, if you remember on Friday um, when I spoke to a man down in Ross Carberry called Dennis O'Donovan and he said that you know he would really hope that the engineers who are in charge of any of these um, projects, that they will listen to the locals who have the knowledge of how the land works in their area. And, you know, again, today here in Dunmanway, I spoke to a local man who spoke to me about the pump that is um, working here in Dunmanway, but he was saying that they need a different kind of pump uh, for any of these kind of torrential rainfalls that, you know, it's going to be quicker at getting the water out there. And I asked uh, Minister Patrick O'Donovan if they will be taking on board the... Um, the, the suggestions by locals and he said that with any of these flood protection schemes that the OPW run that there is a consultation period and the plans and designs go out to public consultation and he said that he would be encouraging people to participate in that and they would be hoping to move any plans along as quickly as possible. He said that the OPW this year have one billion euro for flood measures and he's hoping to to spend that and that this area here in West Cork will get a portion of that money as okay, well. Okay, let me listen to let me do, here's a piece that you recorded from a Minister Patrick uh, O'Donovan and this is a piece on the emergency funding and how people can apply uh, along with local businesses. Well in relation to the emergency funding um, there is a provision within the Office of Public Works that the local authorities can apply for funding uh, for infrastructural works that need to be taken place in the short term so the CEO of Cork County Council, Tim Lucy, has said that uh, if there are immediate short-term works, um, he will make an application to the OPW together with his officials here in West Cork. Um, on the wider front, um, the Department of Social Protection have a scheme where people that are affected can apply to their community welfare office through their local intro office uh, and they'll be assessed on that basis. Well, Minister Heather Humphreys is the person with responsibility for that. I spoke to her about it last night. Uh, as you'll appreciate, this is a, I came at fairly short notice. Uh, I wanted to come at short notice to, to see myself uh, what had happened here uh, and that then we will be able to report as a whole of government uh, to the relevant ministers uh, responsible and get each one of them to respond individually. And Fiona, were local people happy to see the Minister Patrick O'Donovan? They were. Um, I spoke to a couple of people here in Dunmanway and they said it was encouraging to see him down and to see him down so quickly. Um, you know, the Dunmanway was flooded on Saturday and I suppose, you know, two days, three days later, the minister is here speaking to locals and speaking to the engineers and trying to get a plan in place. So they said that they did find that very encouraging. Now, they said that they hope that it's not all words and no action and they'd like to see action taken pretty quickly. Um but um, interestingly, um, 
the minister said during the press briefing that he's all too familiar with um, the devastation caused by flooding because his brother has a bar in Bandon and his sister-in-law has a shop in Bandon also. So they've been hit a number of times by the flooding in that town. Um, So it's something that he is very conscious and aware of and he knows the devastation that it can cause to people and it's something that he's really, um, that he promised here at the briefing that he's going to take on board and try and get um, help and support for people as quickly as possible. Okay. All right. And just one final piece. This is uh, Con O'Leary who is a, he's, this is a, a local man in Dunmanway. Yeah. Now, um, the area of Dunmanway that was hit on Saturday is, is um, Chapel Street, just down from the church. And um, there's a number of houses there that still have sandbags outside. And one woman that I spoke to said, you know, they live in fear constantly whenever there's heavy rain. Um, and he said that, you know, the area floods from time to time. It's, this is not the first time that it's flooded. Now, his house wasn't um, badly hit because he had uh, the, the sandbags out. But he said he, he's a man now that has um, some ideas of what might work to prevent a man with being flooded in the future. OK, this is Connolly. It was badly hit, yeah, because the flooding came from the above the chapel. And it flooded a couple of houses up there. Now, we got away with it down here. It flowed down here, down the street. But we had uh, barriers made up, lucky enough that we made up the barriers. And uh, the problem with the, the big problem is with the, between the OPW and the Cork County Council. The OPW have these sluice valves that they have below on, on, on the banking. And what's happening is that there's no maintenance taking place on those sluice valves, and the rubbish is flowing down and building up inside in the sluice valves. Now, the sluice valves are supposed to open when the, when, when, the, when the river goes down and when the river rises, they're supposed to shut. Now, what's happening is that the rubbish is going in, the sluice valves are opening, the rubbish is building up, and when the, when the river comes up high, the sluice valves try to shut. They can't shut because the rubbish is blocking them. Then we are being flooded because the, 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 the valves are not doing their job. And then the council pump is a six-inch, a six-inch diameter pipe, and it is a, a pull and push pump. What's needed is an eight or nine-inch pipe fitted to a submersible pump, and this pump will come in automatic, no manual help needed whatsoever. And this, the, the submersible pump is operated off of, off of a, a, off of a float switch. When the when the water will rise. The, the submersible pump will cut in, pump the water over the over the banking, and that will do our job. That will keep the lake from being flushed. I have recordings of of uh, this pu- push and pu- uh, this pull and pu- push pump below, that's hired by the council. And when the flooding came, the water, even though that pump was working to its total capacity, the pump was 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 or the the water was still coming up into the Manway Lake, and coming up into our backyard. Can't beat, beat local knowledge, Fiona. Exactly, yeah. And it's like what um, Dennis O'Donovan has been saying uh, to us on Friday when he was uh, speaking about the roads there and the, the cause of the flooding there and about pipes and the way the pipes are laid. And I think that this um, local knowledge is key to getting these schemes right. And, you know, uh, again, you know, Minister uh, O'Donovan emphasised that fact today that they will take on board what the people say. It's very important for people to get involved in any kind of consultation that uh, goes out to the public over the next while. Okay, all right. And did you see evidence of work getting underway in West Cork to repair damage? 
Um, well, you know, the uh, roads, um, there, there has been work started on the roads. Um, I think they're quite anxious to get, in particular, the Ross Carberry Road open as soon as possible yeah. because that's a kind of a main highway for the Wild Atlantic Way. Um, the road going from uh, St. McCroom to Dunman Way is blocked off at the minute, so um, I think that that's road works that are happening there as well to repair some of the damage. So okay. they do seem to be acting fairly swiftly to, to repair the, the roads. Um, so, you know, I hope that, um, as Dennis and Donovan said on Friday, we hope that the work is done properly and that it's not, you know, that um, it's not just a temporary solution and that it's washed away again in the next heavy rainfall. So okay. we'll be hoping that it will be a, a good solution and that they will move fast on it. OK, thank you for that. And uh, once thank again, we, thank you. But Fiona, we wish everybody in West Cork uh, the very best uh, for those people who were flooded. It was just uh, shocking. 1850-333-103. Mary says, if you can't wear a mask, for God's sake, wear a visor. Do people think that the shop workers may have underlying health conditions and they need to be protected too? We wear masks to protect other people. Hi, question for you, please. I'm due to go back to work in September. If it doesn't go ahead and I stop my pandemic payment, can I reapply? Well, if it, the work doesn't go ahead then just stay on the pandemic payment but if you go back and then you're out of work again because of COVID-19 you certainly can reapply because that's what's happened in the three lockdown counties. People were on a pandemic payment then they went back to work and then of course they were out of work again. So yes, if it's because of, of COVID, um, absolutely. But don't sign off until you actually know you are back at work. Okay, let's take a break and we're back with Joe Heffernan. <laughs> Eggfoil Mach Quiddenanihe is Farlin. Shae Troer C103 Air Kirkig. On Donkey Sanctuary, Lunahe Elis Karul and Nakile Mala, Agasazotela Kurtikurted, Agasle Titiming Raw, Terror Hugh Lodi, Satin Plucht Allen, Agaspoil Hassel, Agas Mule and the Torhala, Oskleheisibli and Nadia Gohotau Shacht, Habrishis Kedavila Assel Glakoko, Hoshes Aranashke Hundal Shahan, Agasis Terminators and the Hassel Tot and Author or Fudnatide, to record the Donkey Sanctuary or the and just a final comment in on the wearing of masks and asthmatics. Asthmatics would get less irritants if they wore a mask, says this listener, from pollen, etc. People just don't like to be asked to do anything, even if it saves lives. Some people are just downright stupid and defiant, says a texter to 0862 103 103. Joe Heffernan joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon. And you are very welcome. And we are continuing where we left off last week, we, where we are dealing with stress and some suggestions because some people are finding life a bit stressful. And we did a stress test two weeks ago. And I think we all discovered we were more stressed than we were, yes. say, this time last year. So we ended up with um, humour can save you. And then you want to move that on to the serenity prayer and just just heed the philosophy, I suppose, behind the yeah, serenity the prayer. the philosophy of it. In other words, like, um, you know, accept what we cannot change. So what other choice have we anyway? Um, only to accept what we cannot change. If we had a magic wand, the COVID thing had begun in the morning. Um, uh, 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 courage to change the things we can. Now, that can be very simple. It can be make a phone call to a friend, have an old chat, something like that. Especially the young people. I, I really, really, really feel for the young people in, in all of this. Um, and, uh, do you know, I re- 
this is going to sound contrary to everything now that you hear from people in my line of work, but I, I don't like the kind of phrase at times, positive thinking. Um, I mean, it isn't the thinking will help us, it's what we do. Um, and, and, and the doing will lead to a bit of positivity. But like, um, there's no, you know, I, I, I really don't like... Um, this sounds all wrong now. I don't like the thing of, like, it'll, it'll all be okay. It'll mm. all work out. Because it's a lot more realistic to say it's bloody tough at the moment. It's really, really tough. And, um, uh, you know, uh, young people, um, uh, w- one of the worst things that, uh, well, yeah, a, a bad thing that, that, that affects us all is what we'll call a dread of the future, a dread of the unknown. And we're all in that, you see. We we don't know what's going to happen. Um, uh, predictability has kind of gone out the window. Before you did your leaving cert, you got certain grades that kind of um, indicated where you could, what you could do next if you had decided that a third level thing was the way to go. And I mean, they're really made the hems of it now, to be honest about it, in England, um, uh, with more of these famous algorithms, you know. Our whole lives now are kind of mm, very much into uh, uh, algorithms and all that. So, the teachers gave their mark. The teachers did, did, did the best they could to be fair. The calculated grades. Calculated grades with people that they knew. But then, of course, it all went into the algorithms. And people who got three A's from their teachers suddenly got three B's. Um, anyway, as far as I could gather from the news items on it, uh, nobody went up, everybody went down in, in what they got. In other words, there was a decrease. The A's went to B's and the B's went to C's. So at least we've a chance now to have learned from that. And um, and and uh, I suppose no one is going to be happy with the grade, um, except someone who gets an A1. Um, but we'll, we'll have an element of trust will have to come into it. But what I'm getting at there is that, like, um, everything is different before... You went into the examination hall, you sat down, you did your best, you got a grade, you accepted that, um, mostly. Nowadays, um, that's another unknown. That's another fear. And and these are the people that really my heart bleeds for, that, um, you know... uh, uh, it's it's tough going, and um, and and um, and I don't think they want to hear about positive thinking, and it'll all be okay. I think what they need is to have a few tricks, as it were, um, a few doing things to kind of get through this. So, like we were saying, um, uh, courage to change the things I can. Now that could be phone a friend. Um, uh, Try to um, 
do whatever little bit of socialising you can do. Now, I'm not talking about uh, being house at parties. the receiving end of a barman standing up in the counter pouring yeah, drinks. Our house parties with large numbers. I mean, that that could be limited to six after today. We're, we're, we're waiting to see. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can do something, but you've got to be sensible. Uh, you've got to be sensible about it. Have you, have you advice for John who says, uh, sorry for interrupting you, but this has just come in. I have an outdoor event that I have to attend next Sunday, says John. But I'm anxious about going there. Is that normal? Of course it is. And it's a good um, normal. Because if we get blasé, if we get complacent about the thing, well, then it can all go backwards. Um, the the big thing, and as you know now, we're talking for many, many years. And my old mantra all the time is common sense. Mm. Look after, if if each one of us looks after him or herself, well, then the, we will be safe. And, and, and that's the thing to do. And uh, it's good to hear that there's an outdoor event which yeah, makes which us safe. safer. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, do the things that you need to do, the wash the hands, the wear the mask. Um, Social no, distancing, keep away from people. That, all of that. And um, uh, share with people that we trust, you know. Um, uh, rely on good friends. Now, it needn't be a phone call with, I need help, I'm in a bad way. It needn't be that. It could be talking about the old weather, the bit of a downturn um, uh, in the last week. Um, uh, And uh, don't be a bit afraid to ask for what you need. And if you need to talk to someone, say, in my own line of work, well, then do that, Um, you know, um, uh, some people, uh, especially younger people, I think there's a certain reluctance to open up too much at home. But there's a certain kind of safety, in a way, in talking to um, a stranger. A, a strange, yeah. stranger. And it's it's okay to for John to you know talk to people about saying, God, I'm, you know, I've got to go to that thing on Sunday. God, I'm a bit nervous about it. You would be surprised how many other people will say to you, God, I'm nervous too. Uh, and I don't know if it's John's first time going to this particular event, but usually once you get there and you realise that everybody else is bringing their A game and everybody else is doing everything right, you will feel more relaxed. It sometimes can be the thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in many things in life, the anticipation is worse than the reality. Um, yeah, things we we need to go to. Um, we've a certain um, apprehension about it, and afterwards we're on our way home saying, "Do you know that wasn't too bad?" And um, but the main thing for today, the main thing for our lives at the moment is a recognition that it's tough. It's tough times. And to do um, whatever little things you find are helpful. Um, Myself, I'm always stuck in a book. Um, I'm enjoying the Champions League. Um, uh, It all sounds a little bit, um, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like anything grand or um, psychologically um, enlightened. It's the small things. Some people like to listen to music, so do I. Uh, some people like a hobby, like gardening or that. But there are those of us at the moment too who, who happen to have a physical ailment. Now, I'm a bit crippled with the old back at the moment and it's not making life any easier. Um, you know, uh, life gets a bit tough when you can't put on your own socks. But anyway, um, 
So uh, what you're saying is have alone time, you know, focus on something that you enjoy, but also have fun with family and being with family. Absolutely. Absolutely. And common sense all the way. Like, don't take chances. Um, if you go to the supermarket and realize that you forgot to bring a, a mask with you, um, go back home and get one um, uh, and uh, just do the right thing. Um, have maybe a tiny little bottle of sanitizer in the car. Um, have a mask and or a spare mask in the car um, uh, where it stays so you can't forget it. Um, small things like that. And like use common sense all the time. And a realization, times are tough. And we'd all love to go to bed go to sleep, wake up and be told that it was all a nightmare. But unfortunately, no, it's a reality. And um, and even a recognition that times are tough is but good. This, but this too will pass. And, you know, we'll get, we will get to the other side of it. And it's like, it's, I keep liking it too. It's for our generation. It's like our world war. We're battling a war against this virus. And yeah. hopefully in the not too distant future, we will remember, God, you remember when the coronavirus was here. And yeah, it, 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 it would be great. But talk to people, rely on friends, yeah. um, share with somebody you trust. Yeah. There. And don't be the slightest bit ashamed um, of the f- or, or objecting to the fact that you're feeling a bit um, uh, scared, a bit um, uh, worried. What could be more natural? Of course, we're all scared and worried, but we do the best we can uh, to do the little things that we find uh, helpful. Um, uh, it's a great time uh, for those who pray to have that lovely faith to be able to pray. That is a wonderful gift. Um, and also, um, you know, to do to do the ordinary things like having a little walk, doing a bit of gardening, listening to a bit of music and um, and talking to someone that you trust. trust. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're out against it on time, Joe. We'll talk next week. Look after your back. Okay. And uh, mind yourself, Joe Heffernan, Boho Boy. He's number 0297 On the flooding in West Cork, Anthony says, it's no coincidence that the lack of workers, and we always had in the past on our roads and in our countryside, have had an impact. These men knew where the drains were, knew where the dikes were. They cleared the water away. And then we had the crazy planning where we bid, bi- built on flood plains. It's all coming back to a bite now. That's where I leave you. Thanks to John Paul and Sadie. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. I've been trying to keep my it's really important we continue our efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. New government guidelines have now made mask wearing mandatory in shops, supermarkets, shopping centres and on public transport. Retail staff must also wear a mask unless there's a two metre distance or a partition. Disposable masks should only be worn once. Cloth masks should be washed daily and multiple masks should be used in rotation. If a mask becomes damp or wet, it's no longer effective and should be changed. Remember, when touching your mask, wash or sanitise your hands. Help stop the spread of coronavirus and stay safe. I've been trying to keep my distance. Keep up to date with the latest COVID-19 information at c103.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.